This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2013 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Now streaming only on Hulu. At least 32 people were shot in Philadelphia over Memorial Day weekend. By Monday, at least seven had died. Gun violence is surging in the city, which for the past three years has set new records for homicides. Last year, nearly 1,800 people were shot and survived. This episode of our local Spotlight series is zooming in on what's happening in Philadelphia. Reporters at the Philadelphia Inquirer investigated one part of the puzzle of increasing gun violence in their city. Straw purchases. Those are guns that are purchased legally with the illegal intent of giving or selling them to someone else. City officials have tried to enact tougher policies aimed at curbing the practice, but were stymied by the state legislature, which supports laxer gun laws. What's happening in Philadelphia reflects a similar trend nationwide. Other cities and states have found ways to push back on illegal trafficking, but the issue has attracted federal attention, too. The Bipartisan Safer Communities Act passed last summer stiffened penalties for straw purchasing. We'll be back after this short break and dig into straw purchases with help from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And later in the show, we hear from the head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, Steve Dettelback. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us to talk about his investigation is Chris Palmer. He's a criminal justice reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Chris, welcome to 1A. Thanks so much for having me. So you and a team of your colleagues at the Inquirer investigated straw purchasing in your region. Where did you begin? Yeah, I think the one of the main questions we wanted to try and explore was how so many guns are ending up on the street. It's been a growing problem. <clears throat> the police have said that they have been recovering more and more firearms that are illegally possessed by people on the streets. And we were trying to get a sense of, well, how is that happening? Um, There are many branches to that tree. People, uh, we know that gun thefts are on the rise. We know that um, people often buy guns on street purchases that are illegal. And there's a rise in um, ghost guns, which you can purchase parts of online and assemble them at home. But we wanted to zoom in on one of these branches, which is straw purchasing, which is when someone who has a clean record and is able to buy a gun um, sells it or gives it to someone who is otherwise prohibited from buying it themselves. This is something we heard from law enforcement as as a problem um, and how some of these guns end up on the streets. So we thought, well, how can we zoom into that? And we began looking at court records to try and figure out are there commonalities we can see in some of these cases um, against people who are charged with straw purchasing. Well, you found attempts to put nearly 900 guns into circulation in your investigation, mostly handguns, plus at least two dozen assault rifles. And at least 12 of those weapons ended up in the hands of people who committed shootings or murders. What other patterns emerged from that data? Yeah, some of what we found is that um, 
people had varying reasons for committing straw purchases. Some people just wanted to make some extra money. Um, and if you buy a gun and you give it to people who can't buy it themselves, maybe you get a little extra cash. We saw there were loved ones such as mothers, girlfriends, or partners, or other other friends who could be recruited into buying a gun for someone who is prohibited. There were some people who would buy guns for people who were too young to buy one themselves. Um, and maybe our biggest takeaway, honestly, was some of what we uh, didn't find, which is that we, we kind of came to realize that the few people who ended up getting caught for straw purchasing in Pennsylvania, and that's where we focused all of our effort on, was cases in Philadelphia and its suburbs. Um, these were the rare few who actually got caught because of some of the structural and legal reasons in terms of the regulations that are placed on guns. It's actually really hard for law enforcement to catch people for straw purchasing. So a lot of the folks who were charged in these court cases um, had some kind of uh, blunder that led to their apprehension. There are an untold number of folks who law enforcement suspect are able to go in, purchase a gun, sell it to someone, and um, and never get caught. Chris, how did Pennsylvania's laws intended to limit straw purchasing compared to laws in neighboring states like New Jersey? So New Jersey and New York have more robust um, restrictions on how and when people can buy guns. New Jersey, for example, maybe the biggest difference limits the number of handguns that um, buyers can buy over a certain time period. Um, there are some exceptions to that, law enforcement, gun dealers, weapons collectors. Um, but Pennsylvania has uh, historically been much more reluctant. The legislature has been much, much more reluctant to enact um, restrictions on purchase. This has been a, a contentious issue with the city where there is much more community gun violence than in other parts of the state. City officials for decades have tried to pass um, city-specific laws that would do things like limit the number of handguns that someone can purchase, You know, make it so that, for example, you can only purchase one gun per month from a dealer in the city. They have also tried to enact rules that would um, require anyone who loses a gun to report that gun lost or stolen to authorities. But the in Pennsylvania and in several other states across the country, there is a law known as preemption, which or a concept known as preemption, which makes it illegal for a local municipality to pass a law that is stricter than um, than a state law. And so Philadelphia's attempts to enact some of its own um, city-specific legislation around guns have repeatedly been knocked down as unconstitutional by the courts. And the legislature, which has historically been controlled by Republicans in Pennsylvania, has been much uh, more reluctant to pass any kind of um, statewide restrictions, making it harder for people to um, purchase or possess uh, firearms. Pennsylvania's Attorney General, Democrat Michelle Henry, has been in the role for a couple of months after being appointed by the new governor, Democrat Josh Shapiro. He was the previous AG. Chris, before we hear from A.G. Henry, give us some background on the political challenge she takes on working alongside police and other offices to try to counter straw purchasing. Again, Pennsylvania is a very unique state, particularly the dynamic between Philadelphia and its and the state legislature. Philadelphia is an overwhelmingly Democratic city. Um, it is also where um, many of the higher levels of community gun violence are based, and it's where city officials, as a result, have tried to pass 
a lot of city-specific um, gun laws, but the legislature has been really reluctant to do that. Um, even though, even uh, over the past few months, um, where Democrats took an advantage in the House, uh, they recently struggled to pass some of these gun laws that they thought they might be able to get through with a new Democratic majority. And that's just one branch of the legislative process. Those those bills are going to face a steep uphill climb in the Republican-controlled Senate. Um, it's just a very politically messy process um, trying to address this issue. Up next, we hear from Pennsylvania's new attorney general. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Our local Spotlight series is shining a light on straw purchases in Philadelphia. Earlier, I spoke with the state's attorney general, Michelle Henry. She's a Democrat. Her office is touting its successful convictions of straw purchasers. But the Philadelphia Inquirer found that, quote, defendants in straw buying cases were the rare few who were actually caught. I began by asking her why so many straw purchasers get away with the crime. I think there's a lot of components that go into that. It it, it requires uh, collaboration between law enforcement agencies. It also requires that we use a data-driven tool so that we can track and trace, which we've been trying to promote, as well as the ATF E-Trace system, so that local police departments can, can find out where these crime guns are and track them. When you talk about that cross-agency collaboration, how effective is that right now? Well, I'll tell you, the Gun Violence Task Force, we've been able to partner. It's, it, it consists of the Office of Attorney General, the Philadelphia Police Department, and the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. But in addition to that, we work with the FBI, the ATF, U.S. Marshals, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and local district attorney's offices to really come together because the truth is that these uh, gun crimes know uh, no jurisdictional limits. So we recently had a significant case working with the two local district attorney's office, the Montgomery County and Bucks County District Attorney's Office, and were able to bring down a significant gun trafficking organization responsible for illegally selling 94 straw guns. Six individuals were arrested. And those guns had traveled as far as Pittsburgh, New York, and Connecticut and were used in shootings. So working together, we've had success. You mentioned the Gun Violence Task Force. Earlier this month, Frederick Cornelius Brown Jr. was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison for illegally trafficking guns. That's one of the arrests and convictions you credit to the Gun Violence Task Force. How did that force get started? Well, really, it's been a partnerships. We've reached out to collaborate, as I said, with the local district attorney's office. And again, it's looking for these situations where we see a serial gun purchaser who over years had purchased 
20 guns and then sold them to guns, uh, sold them to individuals who could not lawfully own those firearms. So in that case, that individual bought those guns from seven different gun shops in the past decade, some from out of state. So we were able to successfully um, investigate that case, and it was prosecuted by the Bucks County DA's office. And, um, you know, a significant impact. So it's really about working together. And I can say that through our track and trace program, as well as uh, reaching out to those individuals that sell firearms, firearm dealers, and we have had success in getting tips from those dealers when they see something suspicious. So they report it to law enforcement, um, flagging the fact that something seems suspicious and refusing a sale. And, And oftentimes we're able to act on that. So you're working with gun sellers, you're seeing a a better uh, level of collaboration between agencies. What are the biggest impediments to addressing uh, straw purchasing? Well, I think it has to do with, again, I think we have to be data-driven. We have to have all local police departments utilizing ATF's E-Trace system, which um, allows local police department to input Um, information about the guns that are used in crime so that we can all look at that data and use it as we find these guns and we come across this violence. So that's on the back end. That's after a crime has actually been committed with a firearm. But what about on the front end? Is there something there that could help reduce the number of straw purchases that occur? For the past two or three years, uh, the gun violence task force attorneys out of our office have partnered with groups. So it's social workers, police, prosecutors, and community members impacted by this criminal violence. And um, it's the gun violence intervention program. And go out and identify individuals who are most likely to kill or be killed. And what they do is they go out and do an in-person outreach. And they identify for these individuals the um, the resources that are available to them, but also the consequences. So it's offering services and the consequences. And uh, we have found that uh, a reduction, that this is working, and that the likelihood to be involved in violence after the intervention is, is reduced. Well, according to the Inquirer, in 2022, Philadelphia recorded 512 homicides, setting a record for the third year in a row. Nearly 1,800 people were shot and survived. What more do you think law enforcement can do to address these shootings? Well, look, I think a lot of times we see individuals who are involved in these um, straw purchasers, and they're either um, individuals that, quite frankly, know exactly what they're doing, and they want to profit or get paid um, to use their clean record, so to speak, to go in and buy a firearm and hand it over to somebody who is prohibited by law from doing that. There's also individuals that are uh, involved in abusive relationships or they're drug dependent or they've been coerced. So I think it's a couple things. One, of course, is the intervention that uh, tells people that there are services out there as well as consequences. I think there's a lack of awareness that when somebody asks you to go into a firearm dealer and purchase firearms and give them to, to them, they need to be aware that there are severe consequences should you undertake that and get caught. And I think I have found that there's a lack of awareness that individuals who are doing these kind of acts um, just don't know the consequences. What are some of the consequences someone in Pennsylvania could face? Well, um, Pennsylvania uh, has a 
mandatory minimum. It's called the Brad Fox mandatory minimum, which is five years for a second offense or more. So when an individual, again, and it's offense. So when uh, an individual perhaps has bought three or four guns, that first offense um, would not be a mandatory minimum, but the second or subsequent one, that's five years in a state correctional facility. Before we let you go, the trial of the man accused of killing 11 worshipers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh begins this week. He's facing the death penalty for the 2018 shooting, the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in American history. Now, that's a federal trial, but how is your office involved? Well, we were involved at the at the very beginning to offer support and resources the minute that this happened and have continued to have open communications uh, with the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Western District that's prosecuting this case. That's Michelle Henry. She's Pennsylvania's attorney general. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Chris, I'd like to get your reaction to what we just heard from the attorney general. Yeah, I think I think she's right that the um, that the gun violence task force, which is a partnership between the um, AG's office and the DA's office here in Philadelphia and Philadelphia police, is one of the main, if not the main source of a lot of these cases that have been prosecuted in the city. Um, what stood out to us when we looked at a lot of the court cases that that task force helped build was they were incredibly thorough. They were incredibly detailed. Many of the affidavits are, uh, you know, near almost. Uh, I don't want to say cinematic in their in their writing, but they have uh, huge amounts of details and investigation that went into them. And I think that is part of what struck us is just the amount of investigative power that has to go into building these types of cases. They can be really complex. They can involve cell phone analysis. You know, you, we frequently saw um, instances in which people were, you know, texting potential buyers of guns. You know, what what make and model they wanted, what price. Um, there were surveillance cameras of people, um, you know, going into and out of gun stores and what they were wearing. And sometimes they would go back and talk to someone else in a car. So there's a lot of detailed investigation that goes into these cases. And as we say in the story, in part, that that shows just how difficult these cases can be to make. They, these are not easy cases in Pennsylvania um, to uh, to make ironclad and to be able to charge someone with it. There is a lot of investigative power that has to go into um, you know showing that someone was making an actual straw purchase for someone else. Um, as opposed to a person going in and buying the gun um, for themselves. We heard uh, Attorney General Henry say that in her experience, a lot of people aren't aware of the consequences they may face if they make a straw purchase. And we should be clear, these aren't always gun trafficking rings. It may be a friend or a family member purchasing a gun for someone who can't purchase one legally themselves. In your reporting, have you found that people are aware of the consequences they may face? You know, I think one of the things that um, I, I think it depends on the case. I think she's right that there there are there's a spectrum of potential buyers, right? There are on the on the one end of the spectrum, kind of organized rings of gun buyers who are who are going in buying firearms explicitly with the intent of selling those guns and and taking measures uh, in some cases to try and avoid detection, right? They they will go to different stores over the course of time over different counties. Um, they may have different people who go in and buy different guns on different days. Um, and then there are folks who, um, as she said, are in relationships that 
um, where they may feel dependent on someone or they just want to do someone a favor. And, and some of those folks, you know, clearly kind of aren't, may not be aware of, of the issue. They just go with their partner or their friend. This friend says, I'll give you some money. Can you buy it for me? And, and um, someone will buy it. So I, I think that the level of awareness, you know, is likely to depend on kind of, you know, where people fall on that spectrum of, uh, of potential straw buyers. As a local criminal justice reporter, give us more context on the problem of gun violence in your city. How is the issue affecting and changing Philadelphia? So Philadelphia, from 2020 to 2022, had three years that were at or near record levels of gun violence. Um, The previous record for annual homicides... um, before 2020 was 500 people were killed in a single year in 1990. The, in 2020, there were 499 homicides in the city. In 2021, there were 562. Last year, there were again over 500. Um, that is a, a huge jump. Um, you know, back in 2013, 2014, the homicide rate was, was half of that. Um, non-fatal shootings have been spiking as well, and, and we've seen them impact children in higher numbers and at higher rates. We've seen more women become victims. There have been troubling reports of shootings at rec centers and on public buses and on on the city's subway system. It we just had a mayoral election in the city in which the overwhelming uh, issue among, on voters' minds, um, according to many polls and reporting and interviews, was this topic of public safety. So gun violence, it, it's just become you know, kind of a, a the main issue affecting um, residents in this city, and in particular in neighborhoods where um, there there are high levels of poverty, where residents tend to be black and brown, where there have been historic levels of disadvantage um, in places like North Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, Southwest Philadelphia, um, Kensington. There's just uh, it, it's kind of an inescapable issue for many people in this city, um, and unfortunately, it has gotten worse. Now we we should measure, we should mention, I I should say, that the level of gun violence compared to that historic high has started to come down a bit in 2023. Obviously, we are headed into the summer months when um, violence levels have historically tended to spike. And, um, you know, it is still higher than it had been in much of the previous uh, several decades. Um, We just have to see how uh, those numbers continue to move this year. That's Chris Palmer. He's a criminal justice reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks so much for having me. Up next, the head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives weighs in and answers some of your questions. Steve Dettelbeck joins us after this quick break to talk about the issue of straw purchasing nationwide. Stay with us. This message comes from Capital One. Offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. A member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. We're talking about straw-purchased guns. Those are guns that are bought legally, but then sold or given illegally off the books to someone else. Our conversation is focused on Philadelphia, but it's a nationwide problem, and the head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives wanted to weigh in. Steve Dettelbeck spoke with us earlier from Washington, D.C. Director Dettelbeck, welcome to 1A. Thanks for having me. So in 2021, more Americans died of gun-related injuries than any other year on record. That's according to the CDC. How does the problem of straw-purchased guns fit into the issue of gun violence more broadly in America? Uh, Well, here at ATF, we look at everything through the lens of public safety. In other words, what are the things that we can do uh, to try and help protect the American people from gun crime, from violent crime? Uh, And one of the major things we're focusing on is the problem you're focusing on right now in your program, which is this notion of what's called straw purchases, which, as you know, that's that's just when one person buys a firearm, not for themselves, but for somebody else. And a lot of times when somebody does that, the reason they're doing it is either that the person is prohibited by law from getting it for themselves or that the person that they're getting it for intends to use that gun in a way to hurt other people in a criminal way, and they don't want to be able to be traced back to them. So, you know, the thing to start by saying is some people would would tell you, hey, look, straw purchasing is a victimless crime, but nothing could be further from the truth. People engaging in straw purchasing, they are directly responsible for diversion of firearms to illegal markets. And once there, it's like giving the gun to somebody who's not supposed to have it to hurt somebody else. You are accountable and should be held accountable for what you did. It is not a victimless crime. It hurts real people. Uh, So that's, I think, the most important thing to say. That's why we're focused on it. And what we're doing about it is working with state and local uh, law enforcement partners to investigate these cases, but to use the tools that Congress gave us in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act to try and hold people accountable. And this is uh, legislation President Biden signed It was the first major gun safety legislation in 30 years, and it passed just a month after the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Let's listen to President Biden discussing some of the details of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. While this bill doesn't do everything I want, it does include actions I've long called for that are going to save lives. It funds crisis intervention, including red flag laws. It keeps guns out of the hands of people who are a danger to themselves and to others. And it finally closes what is known as the boyfriend loophole. So if you assault your boyfriend or girlfriend, you can't buy a gun or own a gun. The law also created federal penalties for straw gun purchases, and it also enhances background checks. How has it changed the work the ATF does to counter straw purchases? Well, it gives us another powerful tool to try and catch and punish people who are doing this. Two of the things in the act... Uh, which are very specific to this problem, are it creates two new federal crimes. One of them is a standalone federal crime for straw purchasing. Previously, what prosecutors and investigators were doing were doing those cases under other statutes that really didn't fit as well with what's going on. And then it also created the first ever standalone gun trafficking felony in federal law. Um, So these are both tools that are used uh, to prosecute people who do this particular crime. And 
we've done it a bunch. So even initially, and the law is not even a, a year old, Department of Justice has charged scores of people, I think over 60 defendants, under the new statutes that relate to this kind of uh, straw purchasing and firearms trafficking. And, and you know, we're even starting to get it's time enough that, that judges are sentencing people. I think a judge in Texas sentenced somebody to 80 months in prison uh, who was uh, trafficking firearms, uh, in that case, to Mexico. But this is these are cases I travel the country that prosecutors and investigators are now bringing all over the country along with our state and local partners. So the hope is that these laws will act as both a tool to prosecute those who are making straw purchases, but also a deterrent. Uh, hopefully people will say, ah, oh, the risk is too high for me to do this. But is there anything, a tool that would help you better stop straw purchases before they even happen? Maybe a greater level of transparency around who's purchasing the gun and for, for what reason? Well, yeah. So so we we do have things like that that were also in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. So uh, the president talked about some of those in the clip you played. And what we've done is we've updated the, the form. They have, every person, when they go to a licensed dealer, has to fill out a form. They have to pass a background check. Um, and we have updated the form to include the new questions on the form that the president was talking about. Those can relate to certain things in a, a juvenile record. They can relate to uh, things uh, that might involve domestic violence. Uh, but the reality is, is that straw purchasing is a crime. But by prosecuting straw purchasers, you're not only punishing a crime, but you're hopefully preventing additional crime, right? Because this is about the diversion of firearms from legal commerce, right? We have legal commerce in firearms uh, to the black market, illegal commerce. Illegal commerce. That's exactly what we're doing here is we're, we're trying to catch and punish people who are taking legal commerce products and throwing them into the illegal black market where they're going to hurt people. So the, the reason to focus on this crime is it cuts off that diversion of firearms to that illegal market. And we know once they get in the illegal market, they hurt people. Now, that's not the only way firearms get, get shuffled into the black market, but it's one of the main ways. And that's why we're focusing so much effort on it. Director Dettelbach, do you think you have a clear sense of how many straw purchases actually occur? If, if a gun is not involved in a crime, is there any way for you to track it? Uh, so we, we, we don't have the ability to ha have any sort of a registry of firearms or to track firearms that are not in, involved in things that are viewed as criminal investigations. Uh, so, so the answer to your question is we, we only know what we know. Uh, we did do a lot of looking at this in sort of a more scientific way recently. The president and the attorney general directed us to do a large study on America's uh, firearms trafficking problem and America's firearm sales. And we have come out with, with the first two volumes of those, which is the most data that has ever been assembled in one place involving America's crime guns. That's volume two that came out a few months ago. And it tells state by state and 40 cities uh, more data than has ever been public about, okay, how are firearms getting to crimes where they're hurting people? Uh, so I would encourage people to look at that. It's a little dense, but you can look at it online. You can click through it. It's geographic specific. And the hope is, is that policymakers in all these places 
um, and academics and the media are going to look and dig into these results and try to answer some of the questions you're asking. We spoke earlier to Pennsylvania's Attorney General Michelle Henry, and she mentioned the importance of the ATF's E-Trace system. What is that? So the E-Trace system is, is a system that was set up by law, and it allows us, when a crime happens, to run a trace on the crime gun to its first retail sale. So I'll give you an example. In, uh, in Highland Park, Illinois, uh, last July 4th, there was a horrible massacre. Uh, seven people were killed uh, at a, doing nothing more than attending a July 4th parade. And uh, they submitted that E-Trace. And within hours, we were able to shoot back to the people who were on the scene uh, key names and information that allowed them to identify and arrest this this killer before they killed again. Same with the Brooklyn uh, subway shooting um, uh, last year in New York. Uh, and this is something that we do over uh, hundreds of thousands of times, over 600,000 times last year in, in 2022, we ran traces for state and local law enforcement to try and give them clues to catch shooters. Well, President Biden argued the Safer Communities Act should prevent individuals from purchasing guns who present a danger to themselves or others. Our listener, Joe, in Connecticut had a question for you about so-called red flag laws. Why there is no federal data sharing program in place between federal, state, and local law enforcement, uh, you know, like, hey, there was a red flag raised on this individual. We probably shouldn't let him buy firearms. Uh, we've seen it in Parkland. We've seen it in Uvalde. We've seen it in Colorado where people had red flags raised by, about them, whether it was a post on social media or whether it was, hey, he's building a bomb in his basement and threatening to kill his family. Maybe we shouldn't let him buy a firearm. Now, Joe is referring to the suspect involved in the shooting at an LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs last year. Unsealed court documents uncovered that the suspect was arrested for threatening to harm their own family with a homemade bomb in 2021. Uh, Director Dittleback, how would you respond to Joe? So, so look, I mean, we in law enforcement involving uh, gun crime share a great deal of of information. We share crime gun intelligence. We share information about people's criminal history uh, when we're investigating a case. Um, but there is no uh, central database that ATF has access to of everybody's medical records or, you know, health health or, or mental health condition. Uh, which is why states are looking at individually at enacting uh, state laws that, that deal with this kind of issue, right? And so uh, this is, you know, a very frustrating problem for, uh, for all of us. It's frustrating for people at ATF, but, but I, I just want people to understand there's not some bank of health information that's kept at ATF, certainly, that we can access and, and send uh, about somebody's, you know, mental health Uh, to local police. We don't have access to those records and states uh, and other federal laws govern uh, who can access a person's health records and when they can access them. And and there's no law that allows ATF to just go into somebody's health records and and, and do those kinds of, uh, of, of data collection. Well, another member of our tax club wanted to know, does the ATF provide regular reports to Congress with statistics on the type of guns being sold, how many, and the age group? What data sharing is there on the federal level? So the, the biggest data sharing that I, that I said is not just provided to Congress, but is, is being provided to the public. And I hope people will access 
uh, the firearms trafficking report that ATF is completing. It's done not just with ATF, but we have a, a team of experts, including people from academia, uh, who are who are making sure that uh, we're, we're, we're looking and asking for all the questions that we can. And we share this data publicly. Uh, as I said, 40 cities. If a police chief from anywhere in the country calls and asks us for uh, to break down that data for, for his or her jurisdiction, we do that for them as well. Uh, you know, because we couldn't do every single city or town in the United States, but we'll do that. Uh, and we're asked to do that by, by mayors, uh, primarily by police chiefs. Uh, and, and we'll share with the police chief that kind of data. Uh, so we do work to try and, and share data uh, in general. But the most important thing I want people to understand is with crime gun intelligence, with our ballistics information, we are uh, begging uh, asking, working with local law enforcement to share uh, as much of that data as we possibly can with them in real time when they have an investigation, when they're working on a case. We are sending back within 24, 48 hours actionable leads to, uh, to people in local law enforcement so they can get shooters and take them off the street. We also got this question from Mike in Florida. They're mostly sold online. They are gun kits. ATF is not doing enough to affect this proliferation of ghost guns. You have an entire complex industry supporting this. It's a big, big problem, and people are getting killed, and they're not traceable guns. Now, ghost guns are firearms that lack a serial number and may be assembled at home. The Biden administration wants to limit the sale of these so-called ghost guns, and he says your agency isn't doing enough to address this issue. What actions are you taking? Uh, So our agency has done more than has ever been done to address this issue, including uh, uh, a federal rule uh, interpreting uh, 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 provisions that are already in law in the Gun Control Act uh, to make sure that we're clamping down on the ability to to engage in the business of selling firearms that are are so-called ghost guns. Ghost guns, this 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 um, caller is correct in that ghost guns they're called ghost guns because they're not traceable. They hurt and kill and injure people just like a traditional firearm. Uh, and Congress said long ago that uh, anybody who engages in the business of selling something that's a firearm, including, in Congress's words, something that is, quote, readily convertible, end quote, into being a functioning firearm, uh, needs to run background checks, and those weapons need to be serialized. Uh, and uh, they need to be a federally licensed firearms dealer to engage in that business. And so that rule that we have promulgated, uh, um, it deals with exactly the, the issue uh, that the caller is uh, is talking about. And since the rule, uh, we have uh, been working very hard in the courts to defend the rule, which uh, we strongly believe is is legal, and also to implement and enforce the rule to make sure it's helping real people be safer. I want to end on this question from Sarah, who wants to know if there's one piece of legislation that could make your job easier, what would it be? And we've only got about 20 seconds here. Um, from my standpoint, you know, it's not the director of the ATF's job to to be in Congress, right? Congress passed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. My job is I take what Congress passes and I squeeze every last bit of public safety out of it. The president, though, did issue an executive order last year, and, and it talked about some of the things that are important priorities. But one of the things it also said was, within current law, try to get as many background checks done as you can, because that's an effective strategy to prevent bad people from getting guns. And so we are working every day under current law 
uh, to try and make sure that we're increasing the number of background checks under current law to keep people from doing exactly what your program's talking about, which is diverting firearms to people who everybody agrees and the law says should not have them. That's Steve Dettelback, Director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Director, thank you for your time. Thank you. And remember, this conversation was part of our local Spotlight series when we dig into the important reporting happening in your communities. Today's producers were Avery, Jessa Chapnick, and Chris Remington. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Turn shipping to your advantage with USPS Ground Advantage Service. Learn how to gain a competitive edge at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the United States Postal Service. Turn shipping to your advantage with USPS Ground Advantage Service. Learn how to gain a competitive edge at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.